You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson, and today I was going to talk about gear, but the guy that I interviewed, that I was going to interview, he backed out on me at the last moment, he couldn't make it, so I had to figure out, I still want to launch a podcast, what should I do? Now, a while ago, I interviewed someone who has a pretty interesting or had a pretty interesting life in the hunting industry. Uh, he was a cameraman. His name is Big George Novacell, and he's been behind the camera for the Lakoskis, uh, Matt Duff of Major League Bowhunter. Um, and in this interview, you'll be able to see and hear how he got his start and just something that's very interesting to me. You know, you see the, the quote-unquote celebrities, but you really don't know who are, who are the people behind that. Um, so I felt his story was really cool, really interesting, and uh, that's why I decided to, to interview him. I, I actually wanted to turn this into a written article, but uh, now that this guy backed out, I felt that this is the perfect time to uh, turn it into a podcast. So without further ado, here is part one of my interview with George Novosel. So we might as well just get right into it. Then. Yeah, let's I mean, do it. So six, you've been you've been a cameraman for sixteen years. What? what well, fifteen. I'd say this is going into my this would be going into my sixteenth season. Okay, and then I mean, how did how did you get into it? D- do you have a background huh. in film? No, no, blind luck. So I, I grew up in uh, New Jersey. Hold on one second. Yes, Ty. Sure. I grew up in New Jersey, um, you know, hunted there as a kid and, and, uh, went away to the service. I was in the Navy and when I came back, you know, I was just a buddy of mine and I were like, Oh, we took out our little high eight camera and just messing around filming whatever. So like everyone else in the late nineties, I, I came out here to Illinois and hunted, you know, Pike County. I mean, it was the the Mecca and, Mm -hmm. And fell in love with it six months later, uh, Janelle and I, my wife, well, we were just dating then. We moved out here, uh, lived in Mount Sterling, Illinois, mm-hmm. and uh, a buddy of mine, Tim Richardson, owned an archery shop there in, in Mount Sterling, and, you know, we were 
it was the would have been the fall of two thousand and he says, Man, let's let's go in and buy a GL two. You remember the GL two? Oh, yeah, I mean everybody I had, had a GL two, so we bought one. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Showed up from B and H on the fifteenth of October. We looked through it, went out the next day on this morning of the sixteenth and filmed him shoot a hundred and sixty inch nine point and just kind of laid it down really well. I mean, shot all the, the B-roll stuff and all the cutaways. And well, that night, we just happened to be, you know, we were celebrating. We were in a little town in Mount Sterling at a, at a bar called Booters and ran into Ricky Joe Bishop. And I knew Ricky Joe was, you know, big with Realtree, big turkey hunter. And I was kind of kind of awestruck a little bit, you know. And um, I was telling Ricky, I mean, man, we laid down this awesome hunt. And he's like, man, I'd like to see it. So we went back over to the archery shop, showed it to him, and ended up selling that footage to Loman Game Calls for their DVD series. And and not our, back then it was VHS. Right. And, uh they used it, and then um, Dan Perez, they ended up using it on uh, Whitetail Fever 2, the PSE VHS series. And Ricky Joe, you know, kind of became friends with him, and uh, he invited me to the ATA show that year and went there, went to the NWTF, and, and I got a job that, that spring in 2001. Uh, working for him and Tad Brown and, and doing stuff with Mark Drury when they were all with Loman, um, Mad Loman, you know, um, Culpin Outdoors, actually, is who owned it. And uh, that's how I got started. And then since then, you know, obviously people know that you were with Lee and Tiffany and you did Major League I, Bowhunter for a while. I, I did. I went, so so I worked with, with, um, with Culpin, uh, the Mad Loman series um, for, I was about two years. So 2003, I had met, uh, let's see, it would have been the, yeah, it would have been the uh, winter, January, the ATA show 2003. I met Lee and Tiffany. Lee was just uh, still doing his outdoor writing stuff, and they had just bought the property there in Iowa. And, um, you know, we got to talking and kind of became friends, just talking deer and stuff. And, and that spring, I drove to their house one night. I was filming in Missouri. And when we were done turkey hunting, I drove over to Lee and Tiffany's. And, and Lee and I stayed up all night talking deer hunting and stuff. And just had a good time. And it's kind of stayed in touch. And um, just kind of built a friendship off of that. And then that fall... Um, was one of the first season of first filming season for getting close. And, um, you know, they had Mark Baird there and, and Lee, uh, Lee called me and said, man, I, I, I want you to come work for us. So that's what I did. So I worked for them from pretty much 2003 till well, almost 2011. Nice. And then after and then, that, uh, now, then, in, well, in between there was some stuff. I did some stuff with Whitetail Properties, and and then I had met Matt Duff and Chipper Jones in about 2006, 2006, 2007 at one of the shot shows at the Real Tree Party, and kind of became friends with Duff and invited him and Chipper up one year to come hunting, and they finally made it up and like. 2008 or 2009 and 
Duff was telling me they were starting Buck Commander. And he said, man, we could really use your expertise and your help. So I went down and, and filmed some stuff with, you know, the Robertson clan, Willie and those guys, and did some stuff for Buck Commander. And, you know, and was still, you know, working for Lee and Tiffany back and forth. I kind of took a little hiatus from Lee and Tiffany for, you know, a little bit just because, you know how it is. You just you work with somebody so long. It's like working with family, you know. You just right. need a break. And then, um, you know, Lee and Tiffany, man, they were getting huge. I mean, the crust started. I mean, they things were blowing up, and things were changing. And, you know, everybody um, was going in a different direction. And, and uh, Duff was telling me about this Major League Bowhunter thing they were started. And, and Lee and Tiffany had hired some new guys. And, um you know, things just, there was a, there was a change, you know, a big yep. transition there, which, you know, we, um, kind of parted ways and, uh, um, went to work for Major League Bowhunter, went with Duff and I've been there pretty much for the last five years, four and a half, five years. And, um, you know, had a blast, you know, building, building that show from the beginning and, and, um, you know, learning, I mean, I've learned a lot. I mean, there's no, I've learned so much from Lee Lukoski. I mean, he, he was a great photographer. Um, I learned a lot of all my photography skills from Lee. I mean, um, awesome photographer taught me a lot. I mean, shooting stuff on 35 millimeter. I mean, before we had all this fancy equipment and, and, uh, but pretty much I was so, I was self-taught. I mean, I, I taught myself how to run every piece of equipment and, Something most people don't know, the the tree arms that we use today, the the big, you know, like the muddy boss, and I, I that was my design back in like 2001. Oh, nice. um, there was a there was a Mike McKenzie arm that Realtree used, um, and and I just kind of took the idea and, and designed those arms at Heartland Bowhunter, which you know. Jeff kind of stole my idea to a sense, but I didn't care because I just didn't have the time to mess with it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then he had the the HB arms, but you know those those were my the original ones were my design. I mean, I was making them, you know, for us and for Lee and Tiffany and just our close friends, and and then I made a few for Realtree and kind of Don and Candy, obviously. But yeah, that that was uh, one of the things that you know. I worked on back in 2001, 2002. Right. Now, go, taking a step back, when mm -hmm. you were with the or uh, Lee and Tiffany, or, or mm -hmm. you know, with Major League Bowhunter, what? And, and you mentioned before I actually started recording, um, how many how many days in a row are you away from your are you away from your family i know right now well you know thing it, it, um you know it's different it was different you know lee and tiffany obviously spend a lot of time in iowa yep you know being able to kill three deer each so we would do our september trips you know late august september and then kind of throw in a couple out of state hunts but primarily from october on we were in iowa so i would average i was lee and i figured it out i was averaging somewhere about 110 days a year in a tree stand okay um you know and then you know duff and and major league bow hunters a little different we have leases in in multiple states so duff and i would be on the road for 
35 to 40 days, I mean, straight without seeing, seeing the family. And that was, uh, you know, as my kid, I said, as my kids got older and, and I'm getting older, I'm 41 now. And I mean, it's, it's changing, you know, and I, I don't like to be gone that much anymore. Right. So on those days, you know, you said a hundred, a hundred days in the tree stand, were mm-hmm. you, were you in that amount of time, were you able to get back to the, to the wife and kids periodically? With Lee and Tiffany, I was, okay. you know, with them, I could, you know, say, Lee, I'm going home for a couple of days. And again, we're only a couple hour, hour and a half. At that time, we were living in Mount Sterling a lot. And there was an hour and 40 minute ride, which, yeah, so Lee and Tiffany were great. Hey, you got to go home. Lee and Tiffany would film each other. And I mean, a lot of people don't understand those first uh, getting close was really Lee, Tiffany, myself and Mark Baird sometimes because mark was you know from michigan so he wasn't always down there so i mean i, I probably filmed 75 percent of those shows i mean by myself and 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 me and tiffany would film each other and and shoot stuff but yeah that was it was a lot of work and uh but but i enjoyed it um i probably would spend 250 days a year in iowa with me and tiffany yeah. Um, you know, my wife and kids would come and visit me. They'd come up on the weekends, you know, if I, we were up there filming, and that's when I would see them. Um, and then, obviously, with, with Duff, it's a little different just because he's out of Mississippi. The office is out of Oklahoma. We would hunt Oklahoma, Kansas. So, you know, a lot of days they're living out of, the, uh, living out of a pickup truck, you know yeah. I mean? Duff and I would travel, and we'd put on thirty thousand miles, <laughs> and uh, and so anyway, that was um, you know that's that's the toughest part. I mean, it, it's definitely a young man's gig. I mean, you know, being single or you know not having kids and being in your late twenties, it's 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 a great job. Do I get to hunt much? No. I mean, I, I've hunted less in the last fourteen, fifteen years than I did when I was growing up, not doing this as a job, you know? So, you know, that's a perfect transition then to, you know, you say it's a young man's job and, and, you know, obviously you've hunted before, you have a passion for the outdoors and you have um, a passion for hunting. Why did you, why did you decide to get into this and, and sacrifice your own hunting schedule as opposed, and, and film somebody else's? Uh, you know, um, I, I mean, I looked at it as a job. I mean, yeah. I moved out here. I really didn't have, I mean, I wanted to, I thought, man, I'm going to work in the outdoor industry. This is awesome. I mean, I looked up to, to Mark and Terry Drury, you know, as, as a lot of us did growing up, um, you know, watching their stuff and watching Realtree's Monster Bucks and, and then had the opportunity to, to now call these people my friends. I mean, um, you know, I'm really close with a lot of these people. I mean, it was, it was neat. You know, I thought it was, you know, this is awesome, man. I got a job in the outdoor industry. You know, um, I, I always tell everybody it's the, it's the hardest industry to get into the easiest one to get out of, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's not everybody. Oh man, I wish I had your job. And I'm like, I don't think people realize how much work is really involved putting these TV shows together. Um, you know, you're watching 22 minutes of television that, you know, could be, you know, one episode, I might have filmed 27 hours of footage, you know, yeah. to, and we extract 22 minutes. Um, and then there's 
all the other work that goes in it. I mean, Lee, Tiffany, and I, we were a team. I mean, we we hung tree stands together. We did food plots together, you know. I mean, um, I mean, I owe, I owe them a ton. You know, Ricky Joe Bishop was a huge influence to me. He got me into the turkey call and stuff. And, you know, I was calling on the, the circuit with those guys. I won the Illinois State Championship a couple times. And, and um, I just felt, wow, you know, I mean, here I moved out to Illinois to deer hunt. Here's my opportunity. I can go, I can work in this industry. Right. Well, it's like anything. I mean, it, it when your hobby becomes your job, it changes. Right. And and it j- changes dramatically. And, you know, I, uh, but I've been really fortunate to work with some really, really good people over the last 15 years. I mean, um, and, and if I tell everybody, if I didn't have so much vested in this industry, I'd get out. <laughs> right. It's one of those I don't things, have to tell you that. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I, I tried to walk away from it. Yeah, and then that six months where I was just like, uh, or last year when I did get to hunt, I I hardly filmed myself at all, and I didn't have a cameraman. I was just like, man, it kind of calls you back, right? So I don't know. Well, and, and I mean, trust me, the burnout factor. I mean, I'm I'm to the point now where, you know, come late November, December, I'm I'm getting burnt out, and when I get home, I don't want to hunt. I want to yeah. sleep. I want to spend time with my kids. And and I feel like I'm neglecting them because they're not ha- getting the opportunities that I had when my dad took me hunting as a kid, you know, on the weekends. Right. When I'm home, it's like, okay, this is my rest time, you know. I don't want to have to pack up the truck, load all the gear, take get the kids up and, and take them hunting. And, and that's what's that's the part that, that bothers me now more than anything is my own kids are, are uh, missing out because this is my job, you know. Yeah. And, and it sounds crazy and, and it's it's different when you're the hunter but you know when my job is to produce TV shows and, and tell a story I mean I, I've got to be on my game all the time so distractions or you know you, you just don't need those and again it's I don't know if people really understand that my day is about 17 or 18 hours long you know you, you get up for 100 days at at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning and you know there's no sleep midday i mean you're moving stands you're checking trail cameras you're back in the woods by the time you get home at night uh everybody eats you get settled down i mean it's 10 11 o'clock again you're getting four hours five hours of sleep you know yeah and, and you do that over you know 100 plus days yeah you know, it, it'll it'll wear on you and it's it's taken i mean it's taken its toll now i mean i i feel it i just i can't go that hard um anymore um you know so yeah everybody thinks it's a dream job well so here i'll give it to them they can have it (laughs) so for those people who want to get in into the industry or say you know hey man i want to be a a hunting cameraman is there any advice or tips or yes. tricks that you that you would like to do. Well, yeah. well, uh, he, here's the biggest thing. I mean, you could you could take the the best top notch Hollywood videographers, cinematographers, and and you can't make them a hunter, but you can turn a, a guy that's a passionate hunter and teach him how to run a camera. Okay. You know, so I think. You need to be a hunter first. I mean, that's to me, that's the most important thing. And I think that's what I was pretty good at is 
I mean, I'm a good woodsman. I understand deer, whitetails especially. I mean, that's obviously um, my biggest passion. And, um, you know, it's, but to today it's, it's a tough, I mean, as you know, the, the TV industry in our outdoor TV industry has really changed. I mean, Mm -hmm. in the last 15 years, I mean, we went from one, one network, you know, sportsman's channel or outdoor channel. Now we have sportsman's pursuit. You've got thousands of TV shows out there. Everybody's running around with a camera. Um, so it's harder to get those, um, what I would call, you know, a plus jobs. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys that would just take anybody to film them, you know, if they can get somebody to film, but I think to really get to that next level and, and, um, you know, be a producer for one of the top TV shows. I mean, now you got to have some credentials, you know, um, it's, uh, and, and it's just having an eye. I mean, you know, as a photographer and I mean, you know, it takes a special person to see that, you know, you got to see outside the box a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and be able to tell a story in a different way. But at the same time, I mean, you know, Primo said it the best. I mean, this isn't Hollywood and we get one shot at this. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing scripted. We can't tell the deer what to do. We can't tell the critters, hey, you need to do this. You know, we can't tell the sun, you got to stay up five minutes longer. I mean, there's so many things that go into what we do that makes it really, really, really difficult. And I don't think people really understand that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they think we just go out there. And have I been really lucky to hunt some of the best ground in the country? Absolutely. I mean, has that made my job easy? Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. When you're hunting at Lukoski's, you're not lacking footage. I mean, you know, you're loaded up. And, and so, I mean, I've been a little bit spoiled, you know, I guess, but you know, that's what these guys do that put them at the, the top of the food chain, the, the Lee and Tiffany's, the Mark and Terry's, the Donning Candies. I mean, there's a reason why these guys have sustained their credibility for so long is because they're good at what they do, yep. you know. But, yeah, it's, it's tough, man. It's a tough, tough industry to um, to get into anymore. I mean, it's it was a fluke. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean not what I ever thought I'd be doing. I got an um, engineering degree and never did I ever think I'd be, you know, <laughs> filming uh, outdoor TV shows and producing TV shows. And by the way, I am not an editor, so you could note that. I can't sit at a computer. I'd rather be outside working on food plots or hanging your tree stands or mowing your lawn if that's what it takes to <laughs> to, to, to keep it going. But so, um, I just I can't sit in front of the computer. It, it sounds to me like, you know, people think of cameraman, and you know, in, in your example, you're not just a cameraman because you you were hanging the tree stands, you were t- helping plant the food plots, you were almost right. you know, almost like a farmhand if you want to you want to say I that. was absolutely yeah. oh I mean uh, you know I, I mean there's um, you know and and that comes in in building trust with people. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you just, we've all learned and evolved. I mean, I've learned so much from Lee. I mean, the biggest thing I learned took from Lee Lukoski is patience. 
I mean, I think uh, a, a lot of guys could take a lot out of that. I mean, he's the most patient hunter I've ever met. I mean, he's the only guy I know that can, you know, I mean, just like on our moose hunt in the Yukon, he passes up a world-class moose the first day to shoot one that's ranked like in the top five in the world, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the biggest thing sitting in the tree with him and, and just watching him, you know, be patient when these, when these extremely large whitetails that we're hunting, um, you know, come strolling in, you know, um, nobody's more patient than Lee. I mean, and it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I've been pretty fortunate to be a part of some pretty memorable hunts. I mean, Gnarls Barkley is probably the most memorable, one of the most popular deer, I think, you know, to date that has been killed on TV. And, you know, I was able to be in the blind with Lee when he when he laid him down and obviously his moose. I mean, those are the two that are talked about more than any um, when it comes to us. Do you have, do you have any other um, favorite memories over the years from behind the camera other than those two examples? Man. Well, I mean, just... Yeah, the first kill with Lee in Kansas. Uh, we killed a seven-year-old seven-point, and it was unbelievable. Um, it was the first time ever being ever filming Lee. I mean, I was I was shaking like a dog crapping peach seeds. You know, I mean, here I am with this big DSR three hundred black and white viewfinder. Um, you know, there's there's no color. It's black and white. You had to make sure you're. You know, we were white balancing every 20 minutes, it seemed like, and checking our Kelvin levels and making sure the white balance was good and and uh, running your peaking on those cameras because it was hard to tell what was in focus and what wasn't because it's black and white. I mean, yeah. kid, these guys today don't realize how easy they have it with technology. I mean, I look back at, I'm like, man, we were filming black and white. I mean, that was, that was hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, and... Um, but yeah, that the, the just the first hunt there, and then just watching the the progression of you know um, Lee and Tiffany going from uh, getting close to the crush and seeing where they become you know these these icons in our industry, and I think most people won't. I mean, I hope everybody realizes what an impact. I mean, Tiffany's had a huge impact on our industry in the last. 14 years i mean it's 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 really been amazing to watch what she's done um as a female you know in a predominantly male you know industry right um and now there's there's women everywhere i mean it's and i think she she's a big big part of that um you know other memories i mean i've, I've really been lucky to met a lot of interesting people i mean obviously the country singers uh, became really close with blake shelton and gary lavox and miranda lambert and 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 um, just uh you know things like that i've had a lot of cool experiences that this industry um i sat down with taya kyle chris kyle's wife and mm -hmm. and had dinner with her and and i mean just just things that would never have happened if it wasn't for this industry and um but there's just so many memories. I mean, when Lee killed the big eight point that, that kind of ruled the roost, the big brow eight, um, behind his house there. I mean, that deer, that deer ruled the roost. I mean, uh, the year we killed him, I can honestly say behind his house, there was not a single scrape or a single rub on that whole farm. It was like he had every buck shut down. I mean, and 
and Lee was just baffled. And, and we finally killed that deer during muzzleloader season in December. And next year, it was like somebody flipped the switch. I mean, the woods were tore up with scrapes and rubs, but that could show you how one mature, dominant deer, and he wasn't the biggest scoring deer. I mean, he was in the 50s, but, but I mean, he ruled the roost. I mean, you know, he told you couldn't call to that deer. You, I mean, it was like that deer had a sixth sense. I mean, he ran by our tree more times than I can count without giving us an opportunity. Yeah, kind of like a power vacuum when he when he ended up getting killed. Oh yeah, I mean it was. I mean it was. Um, I mean really, that was the most emotional Lee or I have been over a deer because I mean for years. I mean as a two year old, you'd rattle that deer every time. Mm-hmm. When he turned three, he turned into a totally different animal. I mean you couldn't if you even touched the horns together, he'd go the other way. You couldn't call to him, and then as he got four and five and six i mean he just he literally ruled i mean you'd see him on his feet any time of the day you were back there it didn't matter where you were on the farm it seemed like he was there on his feet but you couldn't kill him i mean he was like a ghost i mean we've had does that he was following walk 10 yards underneath us and he'd stand out there 70 yards and as soon as they'd clear he'd come running right by us like he knew we were there (laughs) And I'm like, he's like, I can't believe he just did that. I said, yeah, I can. I mean, because that's, you know, that was, that deer was, it was pretty amazing. And I'll tell you something else that really amazed me uh, that I got to witness was Tiffany shot a deer one year and I'm sorry, Lee shot a deer. And I mean, if you could have, if you could have touched where you wanted to shoot a white tail deer, I mean, it was, the arrow placement was perfect. Never found a deer year later, Tiffany kills this deer that Lee really doesn't recognize. He's like, I don't, I don't know this deer. So he's in the garage. We get him back there and Lee is in the garage gutting him. And he comes in the house. He's like, you got to come out here and see this. And there's about nine inches of an arrow shaft and a muzzy broadhead through the left lung of this deer lodged in the right shoulder. And the left lung was, I mean, literally the size of I mean, it was shriveled up like your fist, and the right lung looked like it was twice the size of it that it should have been. My Lord. Toughest creatures on earth. I mean, bar none, toughest animals I've ever, ever come across. I mean, like moose and elk and, and mule deer and antelope, I mean, they're wimps compared to a whitetail. I mean, they're just, nothing can compare to them. Their will to survive is, is amazing, and you know that, I mean. Yeah, I've been there, man. I've I've shot my fair share and never found them as well. Well, shit, the I shot a buck, and the next year, uh, Sam Calora shot him. That buck made the cover of North American Whitetail, and uh, right, and uh, he calls me up and he's I remember like, "Remember that? I have no idea how this deer survived your shot because I went right through a lung, and I got about eleven inches of penetration." And he goes. There's a scar on his spinal cord where he he's like this deer should be dead. I don't know how you didn't kill him. That's it's amazing, and and I I think a lot of people don't realize too the anatomy of a deer, and the left a single left lung hit man could be really really scary if you don't hit anything else with it because the left lung they've only got three lobes on the left where they have five lobes on that right lung. If you don't hit any other major arteries, I mean, if you just take that lung out, 
I'm, I'm serious. I think so many times, you, you know, I've talked to guys and I've documented any times. Like, yeah, I shot him on the left side. I'm like, if you didn't hit anything else with it, you know, I'm telling you, they can live. I've seen it, you know, I mean, and, and there's another example of year deer, you know, I mean, it's, if you had to go up and say, this is where I want to shoot this deer, you did exactly what you wanted to do. You know, unfortunately, sometimes they're tougher than we are. Now, with the good memories, you know, comes mm-hmm. horror stories or close calls or dangerous situations, you know. Do you have any examples, um, any examples of that? Well, I mean, um, before I get into that, the Yukon was amazing. The yeah. moose hunt was, it was one of the most amazing things. I mean, spending almost two weeks in the Yukon on the Rogue River hunting with, we weren't, we were hunting with Jim Shockey, but he wasn't guiding us. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. If, if, if people can do it, that'd be the one hunt I would tell them to do. I mean, Yukon moose is, is, it's amazing. Um, but you know, as far as I, I've been pretty lucky to have knock on wood, always hit the record button. Um, yeah, that was a question that was, that was coming up. <laughs> well, you know, Randy, we were in Alberta, and Randy Birdsong had an incident on a 186-inch velvet deer that Don Kiske shot, and he double-punched the record and missed the kill, and knock on wood, I've been lucky that that hasn't happened to me, but I, I will tell you this, it's the most nerve-wracking, the most nerve-wracking time is after the arrow's gone, and you go back to look at your footage to make sure it's there. Um, I mean, my eyes never leave that time code. I mean, I look at it every every second. I mean, I'm looking at it, look, making sure. Okay, it's rolling. Yep, it's rolling. I mean, it's going. So I'm I'm recording. Um, Was it ever hard for you, you know, in the early days to keep your eyes off of the deer and on the the viewfinder? You know, I I, I want to say no because I, I learned on you know shooting that dsr in black and white i mean you had to be so focused i mean you're looking through a small eye cup on that big camera and i mean you had you you couldn't i mean it's not like the lcd viewfinders today where you're a foot away from it and you're able to you know i mean my head was buried in that thing i mean you you couldn't and i think that that helped me over the years to you know, be able to focus more on what's going on. I mean, I, I try to tell guys that you need to be thinking one step ahead of the deer and you better know your hunter on what they're, what they're thinking at the same time. So I'm trying to anticipate what the deer is going to do. And I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, I know Lee or I know Duff, this is what they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and it, it's really, it, it's a tough, tough job to lay it down. Right. I mean, to, and, Make sure everything's in focus and, and make sure you're doing everything right because, you again, you get one shot. I mean, and, I, I you know, a lot of people ask me, like, man, don't you, you know, you haven't killed a lot of deer, you know, in the last 14, 15 years. I said, you know what, though? I could have shot at every one of those animals. You know, I'll always be a part of that hunt forever. You know, I mean, I mean that deer is as much the person that killed it it's mine as much as it is the person that killed it, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I've been really fortunate to, to, to be lucky. I mean, I'm going to call it lucky, uh, than good because, you know, you get, you get stuff's happening and it's happening quick sometimes. And I mean, you gotta be on the balls of your feet. I mean, you're, you're up there hanging 30 feet in the air and, 
and God bless safety harnesses. I mean, because they've <laughs> saved me more than once. I mean, um, I've probably I've probably hung more from a safety harness than anyone I know. Um, but you just get in the moment. You're you're doing your job, and you know that's probably the scariest thing when you step off the edge of the stand and you you know oh okay you know um, I did I tell you the one thing it was Alberta. Lee's the year Don Kiske killed that 180 inch velvet buck. Lee killed a, a low 70s velvet buck, and just as the deer's getting in the shooting range, the camera arm slips off of one of those bam trees up there and slides down the tree. And I caught it with my knee and finished filming the hunt with the arm and the camera resting on my left knee uh, while I was standing. I was holding it up with my knee, and Lee shoots a deer, and he actually. He spined him, so he went right down in the field, which was was a, a blessing. That was probably the scariest moment of, of my filming career, you know. Besides that, you know, just, you know, being in, in the wilderness or being on these um, hunts, you know, in the Yukon or, or wherever it may be and making sure you got enough, you know, batteries. And, and, I mean, for many years, everything was filmed to tape, you know, and, Making sure you have enough tapes with you. And, um, you know, I've been there before, you know, oh, crap, you know, did I bring enough batteries? Did I bring enough uh, enough uh, tapes with me? And obviously today with these hard drives and these cameras, it makes it a little easier, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to carry that stuff around. Because everything was bigger and bulkier back then, <laughs> that's for sure. And that brings us to our conclusion of part one of our interview with Big George. Uh, so go ahead and you can either go eat lunch, go take a bathroom break, uh, go check on your kids, do whatever it is that you got to do, and then go check out part two, which uh, is already up and running. So thank you very much, and go check out part two.